Hello, and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Well, hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Ho there. Oh, hi there. Yeah, that that was a whoops right off the bat. <laughs> That did not I'm take doing long. My, I'm doing my best. Okay. Well, your best is not great, but okay. Okay. Your best is your best. All right. Well, this is episode 235, y'all. Yes. Yep. And um, we do have some trigger warnings for this episode. We sure do. Yeah. We've got murder, desecration of human remains. Um, I'm going to call this child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some very inappropriate relationships between adult men and children, um, and abuse in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much to Madison for writing this up and for requesting this with her sweet little daddy. Yes. Daddy. Thank you. Hey, girl. Thanks. Yes. So let's do a little overview. Okay. On November 15th, 2004, the remains of 50-year-old Lori Waterman were found in a burned-out vehicle near the north side of the island of Craig, Alaska. Her remains were so badly burned that only a skull was immediately recognizable. Lori was loved and respected in her small town, often referred to as a saint by most people who knew her. She volunteered and worked with children with special needs. Who would have killed the generous and loving mother and wife in such a brutal manner? With no enemies, it wasn't long before investigators turned their attention to her 16-year-old daughter and her new boyfriend, who was almost a decade older than her. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yeah. We are definitely going to need a palate cleanser, and I am currently thinking of the perfect palate cleanser for the end of this episode. Mmm, good. Yeah. So I won't be able to give my full attention to anything other than that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just do the whole thing. It's fine. Great. That would work best for me. Great. Thanks. All right. Well, let's talk about who was Lori. Lori Ann Martelli was born in Tacoma, Washington on April 16th, 1956 to Don and Merrill. Do you think? Okay. Martelli. She grew up in Tacoma with her brother and two sisters. She graduated from Curtis High School in 1974. And Lori met her husband, Carl, who went by Doc Waterman And the couple married in 1978. Uh, Doc was a good bit older than Lori, but they had a lot in common, and they had a great relationship. They moved to Craig, Alaska, which is a small town about 55 miles off the coast of Alaska. Just wondering, like, what brings you to Craig, Alaska if you weren't already just born there? I don't know. I I really can't answer that question. It seems like a really tight-knit community yeah. that could possibly be difficult to break into if you're not a local, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, how many people live in Letterkenny? Um, I know of specifically seven. Okay. 
Okay. So there's a little bit more in Craig, but it like kind of reminds me of that. Like, mm-hmm. so Craig is when we say it's a small community and it is no bigger than your mom is Jack Russell, mm-hmm. that is not an exaggeration. No, I'm telling you, it's so small. They recently had it carpeted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You can, you can just uh, open one of those uh, jumbo size umbrellas over it when it rains. It's teensy. Rhode Island could beat the crap out of it in a war. I mean, it is tiny. It's tiny. So it has an approximate population of 1,036, and that was in 2004. It was technically part of a group of islands off the coast of Alaska that are referred to as the Prince of Wales Islands. And Craig wasn't connected to main roads. You could only get to it by boat or plane. So if you are going to go visit Craig, Alaska, you're going to hop your ass on a little ferry to get there. That's just what's going to happen. And you're going to fly directly into it. Like, there, you cannot just drive there. Right. Or a little, like, I know that your kids have tiny airplanes for their train sets and things. That's the plane you're going to get on to exactly. get to Craig, Alaska. Oh, um, yeah. Prince of Wales Island sounds fancy. It really does. Not so, I don't think, but it does sound fancy. I'm sure it's beautiful. Everything I saw of it looks Yeah, I was going to say, it looks breathtaking. stunning. Yes. Yeah. And everybody in the community knew everybody else. Everybody calls a friend. Exactly. Uh, The only crimes they said that really took place in this town were DUIs and bar fights. So, and you know, we hear this in so many cases. I think like, was she a prosecutor in the case or no? No, she was a journalist or something, but she was like, murder doesn't happen in Craig, Alaska. And I'm like, would y'all quit fucking saying that? Murder happens everywhere. Like, it's not common. No, it doesn't. Okay. Well, it happened in Craig, Alaska this time, didn't it? Oh, my gosh. Okay, now you're just splitting hairs. Okay. So, but people really looked out for each other. They took care of their neighbors. Again, they're all friends or they at least know each other. You know, they're like, I mean, that would be terrifying. If there's a murder in your town where it's just teeny tiny and everybody does know everybody, you're like one of us. Somebody that I know is a murderer. Totally, yeah. Like when a murder happens in our town, you know, like in Nashville, it's like, okay, somebody in Nashville has murdered somebody. Yeah, because it's, there's it's like the biggest little here. town ever. Yeah. yeah. On August 26th, 1998, Lori gave birth it's to— It's not the- 98. Let's what did get, I not get it twisted. You said 98. Oh, okay. Whoops. On August 26th, 1988— There it is. Lori gave birth to the couple's only child, a girl named Rochelle Ann Monica Waterman. Doc and Lori raised their daughter on the island, and Rochelle seemed to flourish in school. She attended Craig High School, where she was consistently on the honor roll. She was a part of the school's academic decathlon. She sang in the choir. She was on the volleyball team. She was really involved. She was described as smart and talented. But as she got into her teenage years, she started to get really impatient with living in such a small, isolated town. I can totally understand that. And I don't know why my mind always goes to Disney movies, but I want more than this provincial life. I was just going to say that. Really? Yes. Yeah. It's like, I mean, and that makes sense because when you're a teenager, Mm -hmm. you want, I mean, not everybody, but it makes sense to be like, but I want, there's got to be something more. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And for the most part, like, 
you know, through her like angst and frustration with that kind of stuff, everybody around her was like, this is just normal teenage shit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Craig is, is the teeniest. Yeah. And I'm sure there's like slim pickings kind of, you know, there's just like, it's certainly different than living in a town essentially anywhere else. Right. I, I don't think it's a secret if you guys have listened to any of our episodes before, but I watch trash. I just watch trash TV. I love it. It makes me happy. I like drama, but I don't want to live it. I want to watch it. So I watch Southern Charm. There's a guy on there named Craig. He's adorable. Kind of a mess, but he's adorable. Another guy bought a dog, a little, what are they called? French bulldog and named him Little Craig. And that's this town. It's Little Craig. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, So in 10th grade, Rochelle started to kind of move away from being like run-of-the-mill rebellious teenager. And she started exhibiting behaviors that were really, really starting to concern her parents. Doc and Lori did what they could to keep Rochelle focused on school and her extracurricular activities. Um, And like their daughter, Doc and Lori kept themselves busy. Doc was a local real estate agent. I went down a rabbit hole on this case. Um, It really grabbed you. It really did. And I watched as much of the trial footage as I could on Court TV's website read through a bunch of court documents. The trial is very interesting. The trial is very interesting. But that chapter did a video on this case on YouTube as well. God, I love that chapter. I know. I love that chapter. And I was like, you know, his is a condensed version of it. And I was like, I already know. I've already gone so much in detail on this. I don't need to watch this, but I love him so much that I was like, fuck it, I'm going to watch it. So I watched it and he was like... um, he was like, you know, Doc was a real estate agent. And he was like in Craig, Alaska. And he's like, he had his work cut out for him. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> he probably did. Like, that would be really hard, I would think. To sell enough and buy, you know. Yeah, with just a thousand people that live there. Like, right. how often are these people moving? Or, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, seems like it would be difficult. But that's what he did. And he was successful at it. So he did a great job. Uh, maybe he was the real estate agent in Craig. Right. He was also on the Girl Scout Council. And he was president of the school board. That's right. He was president of the school board. I mean, he was like, he was a mover and a shaker. Lori uh, worked at the local elementary school as a special education aide. And she spent a lot of her free time volunteering at her church. Uh, She also worked with the Girl Scout. (laughs) Goodness gracious. With the Girl Scouts. Right. I'm sure some of them are stout. That's fine. They're little teapots. Um, short and stout. But um, she was, like, involved in the PTA with the sports teams. Her friends described her as dedicated and supportive, especially towards her family. She was said to have a very witty sense of humor and was someone who was extremely respected and loved in Craig. Mm. On November 12, 2004, Rochelle and Doc were planning on leaving Craig for the weekend. Doc spent the weekend in Juneau at a Girl Scout leadership function, and Rochelle went to a volleyball tournament in Anchorage. And watching the people investigate, they were like, if you're going, if oh, an away game in Alaska is an away <laughs> game. Yeah, like, she had to fly. Right. To an away game. Right. So this was no quick trip. Mm-hmm. And for either of them, I mean, I'm sure, like, the di- distance from Craig to Juno and then Craig to Anchorage. That's yeah. 
they were out of town. Lori was spending the weekend home alone, and Rochelle was really excited to go to the mall, especially to visit Hot Topic. God, can you remember Hot Topic in 2004? Holy shit, that was the bomb. Also, on her blog, which we're going to get to in a little bit, her actual post about her excitement about going to Hot Topic said, Huzzah for going to Hot Topic. <laughs> Who says huzzah? I do now because I watched The Great. Exactly. Like, <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of is, like, they say huzzah all the time. Right. But, like, who else ever says huzzah? It Actually, was so funny. I did date a guy who said huzzah a lot. Really? Was he a turd or was he a nice guy? He was a nice guy, but he was weird. Like, just quirky. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. He was a nice guy, though. So on Sunday, November 14th, Doc and Rochelle arrived back home around the same time that evening. While they were unpacking and moving around the house, they noticed that Lori hadn't come out yet. Her van wasn't in the garage either. And initially, they weren't super concerned. Like, Lori could have been out running an errand or at a friend's house. But Doc started to notice some strange things. The bed in the master bedroom was unmade, which was super odd for Lori, who liked to keep things tidy. That is something I know. Somebody, if, if it's the middle of the day and my bed is not made, Something is wrong with me. Mm, I'm 50-50 on that. I do. When we first started this podcast, I fully did not believe in making my bed. I was like, what the fuck is the point? Well, you barely believed in I'm just going to mess it up sheets. again. Exactly. Now, I even have multiple sets of sheets. Look at you. Um, and I make my bed. Either Andrew or I make the bed first thing when we wake up. It does give you a sense of like, okay, this room is put together. This room well, is clean. That, it, absolutely. And it, yeah, it just makes you feel good to come either come home or like be in a house with the bed made. Because it could be fairly messy or not all the way tidy. But if the bed's made, I feel like it just makes it, just ties it all together. Mm-hmm. And the other day I had vacuumed the living room. And then my dogs were up my ass about wanting a treat. So I gave them each a treat. And then they just got little crummies everywhere. And I was like, this is so like when I would make my bed and then Terrell would flop on it. <laughs> it's like you had like a radar. You were like something went off in your head. You were like, bing, she's done making the bed. And then you just come and flop. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Whoops. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So. That was a big red flag for them. Like, the bed's not made. What's going on for her? You know, where is she? There's also a bottle of wine on the kitchen counter that was partially empty. And for a lot of people, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. But Lori didn't drink. So, um... And it wasn't like she didn't, like, she didn't drink much. She did not drink. Right. Did not drink. So, I don't know. Keep that in mind for some things that Rochelle is going to say later. Just saying. Absolutely. But Doc also found a small piece of latex on the floor of the master bedroom, and it looked like the tip of a latex glove. That's weird. Very. Doc called his wife's cell phone several times, but he didn't get an answer. He called her friend. No one knew where Lori was. He and Rochelle got in their car and drove around town for hours looking for any sign of Lori or her van, but they didn't find anything. Finally, he decided to call the Craig Police Department to report his wife missing. The next day, which is Monday the 15th, Doc stayed home from work in case Lori came home or there was any news about her. But some people find this surprising. Rochelle went to school. Since Craig was such a small town, news traveled fast. And by Monday morning, everybody knew that Lori was missing. So they were shocked to see Rochelle at school. Teachers and classmates said that she acted very erratically that day. Sometimes she was crying and angry. Other times she was laughing inappropriately and giggling. 
And a teacher asked her if she was okay, and Rochelle responded that she wasn't worried that her mom had probably gotten drunk and driven off the road. Um, There it is. Yeah. Okay. Your mom is missing. You still go to school. I, I do know that, like, when there are things happening, parents will still go ahead and send their kids to school just to keep their routine going, to not freak them out too much. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes the best thing for you in a panicky, scary Mm -hmm. situation is to take your mind off of it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't find that incredibly weird, especially considering that here's the thing with this case, the law enforcement in the state of Alaska is coming at this like Rochelle makes all her own decisions. She's 16. Right. I am assuming Doc made the decision to send her to school. Or or, they discussed it. He was like, what would you rather do? Yes. He had a part in that decision. Rochelle doesn't get to go, I'm going to school today. There's nothing you can do to stop. You know, like— right. He's part of that decision. So he was okay with her going to school or maybe felt like it would be better for her or something like that. But for her then to say, and and I could also kind of understand the whole like erratic behavior thing, like acting weird, you know, maybe she's having bouts throughout the day of being like, I'm really worried about my mom and then trying to be like, okay, I'm not going to worry about it. She's fine. She'll come home. Like that's a possibility. So I'm not super like, Acting That's erratically not such a means anything. Yeah. Yeah. But for her to say, oh, I'm not worried. My mom probably just got drunk and drove off the road. Like, I believe she even, like, different accounts say different things, but some accounts of her response to that said that she probably died in a drunk driving accident. Like, she was assuming her mom was dead and it was of her own doing because she was drunk and drove around. So let's just take out the whole Lori has is known to not have any alcohol ever. Let's just take that out for a second. Right. Let's say that Lori did enjoy drinking sometimes. And that's still a possibility. And she was like, no, oh, it's fine. She just got drunk and ran off the road. I would think, I would still be concerned. It wouldn't be like, a, oh, who cares? She probably just wrecked her car because she was she was dr- drunk driving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do She's you know probably I mean? just dead in a car accident. Right. And to even bring that up and say that when you know full well that you've never, ever seen your mother have a sip of alcohol in her life. Right. Yeah. Or in your life, you yeah. know. There's a lot of stuff, you know, that we could say about our mom. But one thing we could say about our mom is she didn't drink. Mm-mm. And so, you know, I guess there's some personal bias here, but like even when we were young, we knew our mom didn't drink. So if we were 16, 17, 16, 15, 16, and we couldn't find her, and one of us said, she probably just got drunk and drove off the road, that would be very strange Mm -hmm. because it was well known that she didn't drink. Like, this is concerning. Uh, She probably Mm -hmm. just wrecked her car and died. Right. Even if she said that and took the drunk driving out of it. That's just exactly. it's so bizarre. Yeah, it is very bizarre. And then you add in the fact that Lori very much didn't drink. Like, that yeah. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No. And she's just kind of flipping about it like, oh, eh, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would that be your assumption that she drove drunk? Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. 
Meanwhile, in an area of woods north, hunters out looking for deer noticed smoke in the distance. So they walk over to where the smoke appeared to be coming from, and they found a minivan that was completely burnt out. They immediately called 911, and a state trooper arrived on scene and inspected the fire, uh, the burn frame of the vehicle. So they looked closely inside, and he noticed what appeared to be human remains. But a skull was visible. Everything else seemed to be burned beyond recognition. And they said the fire burned so hot and for so long that the license plate was melted. Yeah. And investigators were pretty confident that this was Lori's van. I mean, again, how many vans do we have in Craig? Four? Possibly. You know, normally in a situation like this where they're like, I'm pretty sure this is the van and I'm pretty sure this is her remains, I would be like, you can't say that shit till you know it for sure, but like... There are literally no other chances that it's anybody else, unfortunately. Right. And I'm sure, I I don't know, uh, speculation, but how many other missing persons cases do we have open Right. Yeah. yeah. So police went to notify Doc that they likely found his wife's vehicle and that there were human remains inside. Um, and since they didn't have the license plate, they were able to trace the VIN number on the vehicle and confirm that the van did indeed belong to Lori Waterman. At Craig High School, Rochelle was called into the principal's office and told that she needed to go home, that her mother's van had been found. Police told Doc and Rochelle that they didn't have a positive ID on the remains, but they felt pretty confident that they belonged to Lori. So at this point, the community of Craig is devastated. Lori was such an integral part of the town, and she was really loved, and nobody could understand why this had happened. Police couldn't even make a list of possible suspects because Lori had no enemies. Like... And that's the thing. We talk about this kind of stuff a lot where it's like, you know, she was loved by everyone. She lit up a room. Like, there are so many memes that kind of poke fun at that whole, that with true crime docs and things like that. But Lori, this is not a joke. This is Mm -hmm. not embellishing. She Mm -hmm. literally did not have an enemy. And she was known throughout the community, small community, everybody knew her. Everybody Mm -hmm. was like, she was a saint. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, understandably so, this entire town is petrified. Mm-hmm. It's just so scary. So Doc tells the investigators, okay, here's the stuff we found when we got home, the small piece of latex, the almost empty wine bottle, the unmade bed. He also told them, though, there were a few small spots of blood on the master bedroom sheets. So police get a search warrant, and they scoured the Waterman home, and they found rope fibers in the upstairs bedroom. With a lack of suspects, they look at Doc, and they should. You have to all—you always have to work from the inside out. Mm -hmm. They were at another dead end, though, when they found that, like, from all accounts, everybody, they were like, no, they had a rock-solid marriage. They were very much in love. They were very happy— I'm sure that they had, you know, issues here and there, but they had a very, very healthy relationship. There's no reports of abuse, no violence. Lori is not telling her friends that she's unhappy, you know, anything like that. Also, Doc has an alibi for that weekend, and it checked out. Remember, he was out of town, and he—it's not like he could just drive from here to right over there. Like, he was the fuck out of town. Mm-hmm. No question about it. In addition to interviewing Doc, police wasted no time before interviewing Rochelle as well. 
They interview Rochelle without Doc present. Or a lawyer. She she has no guardian no. or She's legal counsel with her. Yes. And I think that that's super important to, to remember because they're treating her like she's an adult. And she is 16. She's 16 years old. Yes. So, and I think they picked her up, like, per her lawyer's closing statement in her trial, they picked her up. The way that he worded it was like, the police made sure that Doc was out of the way, that Doc was elsewhere, and then they go and pick Rochelle up and bring her in to question her. So, like, he makes it sound like they did this on purpose, which sounds like they did, to make sure that Doc wasn't there to be like, well, I'm coming with you. Right. Or no, I don't want that to happen, you know, kind of thing. So they bring her in for questioning and they ask her if there's any family problems. And they tell her, like, look, there's rumors of you telling people that both of your parents are having affairs. And one thing we're going to learn about Rochelle is that she fucking runs her mouth. She just does. Mm Mm-hmm. So they go deeper into Rochelle's personal life, looking for anything that might be out of the ordinary. And, you know, we have this exterior image of this, like, you know, model student, great athlete. But once they get kind of past that, they realize that Rochelle was having a lot of problems at home. So she started writing an online blog that she titled My Crappy Life. Really paints a picture of what she's writing about. Uh huh. Um, this blog is still active today. By the way, she still writes under my crappy life. Wow. Yeah. Um, she referred to living in Craig as quote hell Alaska, and a lot of her entries were typical kind of like teenage brooding, but one in particular stood out to them, and it was made on November eighteenth, two thousand four. This is three days after Lori's remains were found, and the entry read quote. Just to let everyone know, my mother was murdered. I won't have computer access until the weekend or so because the police took my computer to go through the hard drive. I thank everyone for their thoughts and emails. I hope to talk to you when I get my computer back. The end. Okay, bye. Like, she has more emotion in her blog posts about... Hot topic. About hot topic than she does about about her mother being murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Also, who is, I hope to talk to you all or whatever, like, who are the people reading this? Like, I've I've only seen one comment on any of her recent entries, and it was somebody who obviously knows about this case and was just being not nice. But, like, there's, she'll have, like, one or two likes on any of her posts. Like, who who are you talking to? But, anyway. Um, So, in, you know, the recent past, not only had her attitude gotten more worser, as Jesse would say. (laughs) Um, But Rochelle had changed her physical appearance. Now, she was wearing, and pull over if you're driving, because I don't want to scare you. Yeah, this is very, very concerning, Mm -hmm. to say the least, yes. Yeah, Um, she was wearing all black. (gasps) And I don't, again, I don't want to scare you, but her fingernails were also painted black. No! Oh, my God. Yeah. So no. Yeah. Um, She also had been showing a lot of interest in Wiccan. Okay. Okay. Uh, She posed in pictures wearing a dog collar around her neck. A black dog collar. (laughs) I maybe am desensitized 
in my ripe old age of 22. Um, mm-hmm. But I want whoever is finding these types of things to be very frightening. Go to Hot Topic in 2004. Mm-hmm. Rampant with all black Zippers everywhere, um, straps chunkers, on pants, chokers. Yeah. Let resemble I mean, dog this call is Avril Lavigne is top in the charts. Uh, My Chemical Romance. Uh huh. Uh, Lincoln Park. Yeah. Uh, who else did we listen to? Good Charlotte. I mean, they weren't, you know, still, still. Yeah, yeah. Our parents, or not our parents, but our Aunt and uncle certainly didn't approve of that type of music. Like, this is not unusual. It may have been something that her parents didn't like, especially in Craig, Alaska, I guess. But, like, this is the style then. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a huge section of the population that this is, you know, you're wearing pinstripe pants, you're wearing a tie over a black T-shirt, like, studded belt. Yeah. Yeah. That's all just part of it. Yep. But her parents didn't like it. And she had written on her blog at one point about that her mom or or that both of her parents, I can't remember which, had found her Wiccan books and she'd gotten grounded for that and, you know, stuff like that. This is obviously something that her parents don't understand. Ugh. And parents it's, just don't understand. Was, exactly. Yep. Um, and what do we do with things that we don't understand? We fear them. So they were trying to get her back in line because they were worried that, you know, wearing all black and black nail polish meant, I don't know, you're going down a bad path or something. I'm not sure. So she's pushing the limits with her parents. I mean, obviously she sees that the shit pisses her parents off and she's like, well, I'm going to do more of it then. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what she's doing. Well, in typical teenage behavior. You know? Yeah, Exactly. Her anger, though, had increased, and in a recent blog post, she complained about not wanting to be the daughter that Lori wanted her to be. And she said, like, I'm not I'm not the person I'm supposed to be. I'm becoming the person they want me to be or something like that. I mean, she's very, she's very angsty. She's very, like, using this blog as being, like, very introspective and, you know, being very, like, dramatic as, as a 15, 16-year-old would be, you know? Right, and voicing her frustrations. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty clear that there's rising tension between Rochelle and her mother. And so when police asked about violence in the household, she told them that her mother had hit her on the legs with a baseball bat one time and had pushed her down the stairs. So she's painting a picture, a very different picture of their household than every single other person that they've talked to. Mm Mm-hmm. Every single other person. So during Rochelle's interview, police told her that they'd found out that she'd been hanging out with older guys that drank alcohol and used drugs. And one of these men was 24-year-old Brian Riddell. And he met Rochelle at a party and immediately could tell that she was into older guys. I don't like that. I don't either. That's accusatory. (laughs) I I mean, like... Okay, so even if she is, you're 24 and she's 15. Mm-hmm. She's 15 when he meets her. If she's, quote, into older guys, and you're not 17. Right. You're not 
18. We're pushing the limits, but 18. You're 24. And you meet a girl that's 15 fucking years old. You don't say she's, quote, into older guys. You're the adult there, and you don't have a relationship with her because she's a child. Right. That's your responsibility, but okay. Yep. So um, thank you. Uh, You're absolutely right, but that didn't— I don't know. I guess, okay, so Brian, he was like, "Eh, I don't know how I feel about the whole underage thing. So he was like, I have a solution. Mm -hmm. I won't have a relationship, but... But I have a friend named Jason Arendt, who is also 24, that you would be down to clown with because she, you know, she likes older guys. So let's just set her up with another 24-year-old. Exactly. Ugh. Brian, close but no cigar, man. Yeah. Close but no cigar. Like... I guess it's a good thing that you said, you know what? I'm not going to have a relationship with an underage girl. But you then don't turn around and be like, but let me set her up with my other adult friend. Yeah. I know someone who is totally fine with this. Exactly. Right. Brian and Jason had met when they were younger at a local youth group. The two became inseparable. They even were blood brothers. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I don't know. Jason, or I'm sorry, Brian doesn't specifically say when they, quote, became blood brothers. I'm going to assume that this happened when they were very young. Right. Because I hope to God they're not, like, 23 years old and being like, we're blood brothers now. Like, I don't know. But it just sounds so stupid. Yeah. But this may be, like, a high school boy thing. I don't really know. Yeah. I don't know. Give me 10 years. I'll find out. (laughs) Brian said that everything that was his was Jason's and everything that was Jason's was his. And Brian trusted Jason with his life, so he felt completely comfortable introducing him to Rochelle. You should not. You should not feel very comfortable with that because that Mm. is illegal and wrong. Um, But whatever. So Jason was described as a creepy, redheaded, overweight dude who worked as a janitor at the high school. His, yeah. I don't, I just, he shouldn't be working at a high school. No. He's a sexual predator. Yeah, if he has a penchant for dating underage girls, then don't bring him to— Let's don't do that. Right. Yeah. His hobbies included playing computer games, smoking pot, and living in his mother's basement. Rochelle and Jason became romantic. Um, They were keeping it a secret from almost everyone. Her mom didn't approve of her hanging out with older guys, but Rochelle didn't care. On the afternoon that the high school principal called Rochelle into her office to tell her about her mother, Jason burst into the office and told them that he'd take care of Rochelle and take her home. And that was the same school where Jason was a janitor. So the more police dug at Rochelle, the more they felt that she was hiding something from them. They asked her if she was having a sexual relationship with Jason, which she initially denied, Eventually, she admitted that they did have a sexual relationship, but that they only had sex under five times. Okay. Police spoke with Jason and Brian, who both denied having anything to do with Lori, and they gave an alibi that alleged that the two of them were together on the night of the murder, which, of course, couldn't be verified. And Rochelle told them that she wasn't even in Craig that weekend, which can be verified, but she said that she called Jason from Anchorage around 1 or 2 a.m. on the night of the murder because she couldn't sleep. But the thing is, Jason and Brian, in their alibi, they said that they were in a place with no phone. So, obviously, the truth is not being told here. Yeah. 
Investigators asked Rochelle if she'd be willing to wear a wire and talk to Jason and, and Brian, and they said that her help would be good for the community. And Rochelle was very unsure about this and asked if she could have some time to think about it. Jason, yeah. though, mm-hmm. said, of course I will. I will absolutely wear a wire to get Brian to confess to the murder. <laughs> yeah. So the investigators told Jason about the evidence they had and that they knew he was involved. Jason wore the wire when he went for a drive with Brian, and Brian said that things seemed kind of weird, but he never thought that Jason would wear a wire or betray their friendship. After driving around for a little bit, Brian began to feel safe, and he started talking about what happened with Lori. He told Jason that he wanted to go to his family's house to say goodbye, because he could tell that the jig is up, kind of, you know? Yeah. So when he arrived, Brian asked his mother if he'd heard about them, or if she'd heard about the murder, and he told her that the cops were thinking that he did it. Police were able to hear enough to bring Brian in, and they told him that Jason and Rochelle had already given him up. So with this, they were able to get a complete confession from him of what happened on the night that Lori Waterman was murdered. So Brian tells police that Jason told him that Rochelle was being abused by her mother. She told Jason stories about, like we said, her mother had pushed her down the stairs, had come. She, you know, the baseball bat thing. She's also saying that her mom pulled a knife on her and said she was going to stab her to death. All these things. When Brian heard about this, he's like, I mean, it seems kind of far-fetched, but he'd grown up in several abusive households himself, and so he wanted to protect Rochelle. He wanted to fix things for her. He wanted to rescue her, all the stuff. Rochelle had told police earlier that Brian had a horrible temper and that he'd do a lot for somebody that he didn't even know. One night, Jason came to Brian and told him that they needed to protect Rochelle and get her out of her house. And he says her life is in jeopardy and that, you know, her mom is going to kill her. And Jason knew that while Lori was in the picture, he can't be with Rochelle. After Jason tells Brian that Rochelle is in fear of her life, Brian's ready to go. And he says in his interview, which a few things about Brian Riddell, he looks like a guy that you and I both know to me vaguely at the beginning, a guy with a mustache, a big mustache. I think you'll mm-hmm. know who I'm talking about. In his interview in the People Investigates thing, mm-hmm. he also looks one million times better now than he ever did out of jail. Like, now that he's, like, what, he's got to be in his 30s now? Like, Mm -hmm. he looks like a regular person. He looked just horrible before. But he says in his interview, you know, an oath is an oath. Like, I was raised—he says this on the stand, too. I was raised to believe that an oath is an oath. And if you tell somebody you're going to do something, you do it. If I tell you that I'm going to kill you, then I'm going to kill you. If I tell you you better get out and you have 24 hours or I'm going to kill you if you're still there, then you better get out because in 24 hours I'm going to kill you if you're still there. What the fuck are you talking about? And why would that be something? Like, I'll admit there are times when I'm like, you know— I could say the same thing about myself, right? I could I could say, or anybody could, like, I, I keep my promises. If I mm-hmm. say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. Why are we going to, why are we going to murder? Right, like, like a, a normal example of that, is this your first murder for hire or what, you know, like mm-hmm. a, a normal example would be like, if I tell you I'm going to, I'm going to meet you at eight o'clock in the morning, then I'm going to meet you at eight o'clock in the morning. If I tell right. you I'm going to come pick you up for school, I'll, I'll pick you up for school. Like, what is this? If I tell you you have 24 hours to get out of your house or I'm going to kill you? 
Yeah. Then I mean that? You're not Wyatt Earp. No. Like, like, yeah, what are we talking about here? So anyway, this is who we're dealing with. I just, it adds a little context, I think. So they know that Rochelle is going to have volleyball practice and that Lori would be waiting outside of the school for Rochelle because she can't fucking drive because she's a kid. So her mom has to pick her up and fucking practice. It's, and things like that, really, 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 because I, I know, I'm aware of the fact that she is a, a child. But when we hear details like that, where it's like, well, she's got volleyball practice. Mm-hmm. And mom has to go get her. Exactly. Mom has to go get her. Hey, you guys. Um, it's us again. Yay. It's us. We threw, we threw you for a loop on this one. <laughs> uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking, like, WTF, where are episodes 1 through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember, though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. So they know that Lori is just going to be sitting out there waiting, right? So Jason called Rochelle and he was like, hey, um, how's it going? Have a good practice. Just want to let you know Brian's going to kill your mom because she's going to be waiting outside the practice. And by all accounts, everybody agrees that Rochelle says in this moment, don't do that. Do not do that. And he's like, she she ends up finally saying at the end that Jason says, fine. Right. And she said she thought it was like, okay, the... It's off. Nobody's going to do anything. Okay, fine. You say it's off. It's off. But then she says later that she realized that that could have been just like a snotty, like, you know. Yeah. Okay, fine. And then we're going to do it anyway. Exactly. So Brian waits in the front of the school with his rifle and he was ready to shoot Lori, but he forgot the bolt to his rifle. So he had to call it off. I almost want to say thank God, but the outcome is the same. Exactly. And I I wonder, too, when he said that, I'm like, did you forget it or did you not want to go through with it? But the thing is, because that is a perfect opportunity to be like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So Lori does not get murdered that day. Brian later said that he was ready to do what he had to do, whether he liked it or not. And again, he is this like... They described him as a robot that whatever you programmed him to do, he would just do. And I don't know if you got this vibe, but when he is being interviewed for the People Investigates and he's talking about it, it's partly matter of fact, like I am who I am, but it's almost like this honor situation where he's like, yeah, you know, what? like, I don't know if yeah. bragging is the right word, but he's like, I take my promises very seriously. I'm like, great. That is a great quality for people to possess. Mm -hmm. But what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, and 
I don't know. I wish there was more information about this. Um, I felt like it came through a little bit more when he's on the stand, but I feel like there's some maybe, um, I don't want to say mental disability there, but you know what I'm saying? There's something that's not totally adding up. Right. Because a 24-year-old who just hears from another person, albeit a person that he trusts with his life, but again, you're 24, why are you just taking somebody's like, oh, Jason says Rochelle's going to get hurt, so I have to kill her mom. And so I just, without question, I'm like, okay, well, he's my blood brother, so whatever he says goes. Right. There's just something that doesn't, that's not right. Right. That's not normal cognitive function for an adult. Right. I mean, the decision-making skills are skewed there. Yeah, for sure. There's there's just something going on there. So after this near shooting, Jason and Rochelle had been seeing and talking to each other much less frequency, and he attributed that to Lori. Charlotte, you just said frequency. What did I? What? I did? <laughs> You said Jason and Rochelle had been seeing and talking to each other much less frequency and he had attributed that to Lori. Man, I was feeling real riled up too, so I didn't even notice that. Um, (laughs) Frequently or with much less frequency, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I think you got the point across, but it was just silly. Yeah, okay. So they're not talking to each other anymore, almost at all. There's two ways to look at this. Her defense says that she broke up with him. And there is evidence pointing to the fact that she did break up with him at this point. Because they weren't talking anymore. And he starts sending her letters and emails and shit being like, how come I can never get in touch with you? How come you never call me back? How come I never see you in person anymore? How come when you're online and I try to chat with you, you don't chat with me? Right. She's dropped communication with him. And he's not happy about it. Well, no, and I think that there is a big layer of obsession on his part. Yes. Because, and this is not my, this is not my opinion. It's It's been said, he was not one to have many girlfriends. He, no, this may be his only girlfriend. Right. Like ever. So he, he latched on. I mean, this is like a big damn deal to him. So when he's losing communication with her, it's freaking him out. And he, of course, is like, he thought in his mind, he was like, oh, obviously Lori is keeping us apart. It didn't register that maybe Rochelle could possibly, and I'm not saying this is what happened, could possibly have been like, wow, I'm feeling really uncomfortable because my boyfriend decided that my mom needs to be taken out of the picture, it could have happened that way. Mm-hmm. That would make most people, hopefully, be like, exactly. wow, I need to reevaluate this relationship. Yeah. Well, in his mind, that that could never have occurred. Exactly. It was somebody tearing them apart or keeping them apart. Exactly, exactly. He, on the stand, he, in police interviews, he probably to this day will not admit that she ever broke up with him. Mm-mm. Brian doesn't know if she broke up with him. Because Jason's not going to tell Brian that. Jason's right. going to tell Brian, Lori is um, abusing Rochelle to the point that her life is in danger. Because at this point, 
Brian doesn't know the reason for it, but at this point, the communication between Rochelle and Jason has ceased, all but ceased. Brian is not aware of this, but Brian is made aware that this has to happen immediately. Now there's a there's a desperation. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Jason's starting to freak out about it. Well, and Jason even told Brian, I saw it with my own two eyes on webcam. Yep. Yeah. Lori took a baseball bat to Rochelle and I saw it on webcam. She's going to die if we don't kill Lori. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, all right, let's do this. So Brian says, I got prepared. I understand forensics. I understand what police are going to be looking for. Um, he said he knew he needed to confuse the crime scene so investigators wouldn't know what to do. He did do a lot of stuff that you're like, okay, a lot of people wouldn't think about that. None of it worked. But he brought small bags of like dust and dirt from random locations to like make it look like, you know, if they tried to like trace the dirt, you know, or dust or whatever, they'd be like, this person came from, you know, blah, 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 like whatever. That's a really interesting thing. I never thought to do that with my dust and dirt collection. So uh, there's lots of uses for a dust and dirt collection. Right. I've just been collecting for years, let's be honest. But I was like, you know, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff? It's not like I could sell it. So, okay, good to know. Exactly. You can just confuse confuse investigators all day long with it. Um, He also had shoes from sizes 8 to 15 to make sure that he left multiple footprints and tracks with. He wore several layers of clothing, all of which were very well washed. He completely scrubbed his entire body and shaved all of the hair off of his entire body so that he didn't leave any skin cells or hairs behind. He bought a bottle of wine and brought it with him in order to stage the death. Now, here's here's a sticking point to look like a drunk driving accident. I don't want to forget later. I don't think I could, but... When investigators are talking to Rochelle and they bring up, or maybe it's on, on the stand, they're asking her, no, it was definitely, it was definitely when they were interrogating her. Yeah, she her. didn't take the stand, but yeah. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. They are saying, why did you say that mom probably got into a drunk driving accident and ran off the road? On she, Monday before they found her vehicle. Right. And she says, it's because that's what I assumed happened. Why? Right. And they're like, no, it's because you knew that that was the plan. The plan was to make it look like a drunk driving accident. How did she know that? Right. Because, again, if you are in a similar situation, God forbid, but if you are, I don't think that your mind, if you know that your mom is not a drinker, has never in the history of ever, as far as you're concerned, had a, a any yeah. sip of alcohol— why would you go there first? Yeah. And I mean, that just, would be like if something happened to me and you were like, well, she probably got drunk and drove off the road. I mean— That doesn't happen. Yeah, I used to drink all the time, but I don't drink anymore. It hurts my tummy. I'm old. So, like, can't do it anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just—why would you go there? But when when you add the context that that was— the, Now, they had lots of different plans. One of the plans was to put her in a bathtub, fill it with cement, and drop it off the side of— Brian's boat in the water. They had a bunch of different fucking plans. But one of them, the one that they tried to execute that same night, not just here's 20 plans we have on the wall and see what sticks. This is the one that they prepared for and enacted. It didn't go as planned. It did not. But the plan was we are going to make this look like a drunk driving accident. How does she know that? Absolutely. Yeah. 
it's just it's just questionable. And not only is it weird as hell just to just all by itself, but that there's an extra layer of wow, hmm, convenient much. You found out she's missing on Sunday. You tell your teacher this on Monday. Mm-hmm. And you've supposedly not heard any information from anybody or known that anything happened or anything like that. Right. It just, it doesn't look good. It's not a good look. No. And I think it's pronounced supposedly. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Across the street. And yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Exactly. So Brian said the only way that he was able to make entry into the Waterman home that night was through the cat door. So they had one of those little like, you know. Mini mat doors. <laughs> little mini mat door. Yeah. So he stuck his arm through it and he's like, I have a really long arm. So somehow, I mean, this honestly, this has to be like Gene Simmons' tongue is to Brian Riddell's arm because you're going to stick that in the bottom of the fucking door and reach up and unlock it. Pretty incredible yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he reaches up and unlocks the door and he says, Had they not had a cat door, and he doesn't he doesn't say it like I was told to use the cat door. He just says if they hadn't happened to have a cat door, I wouldn't have made entry that night. That's something her defense is going to bring up. Did she give you a key? No. Then how is she involved in this? Mhm. She well, we knew she was going to be out of town and her dad would be out of town. Okay, but she's also like if she did talk to them and say, "Oh, I have a volleyball tournament and my dad's out of town." That could be innocuous information. Right. Why wouldn't she give you a key or leave a door unlocked or, you know, something? So mm-hmm. uh, there's just a there's a lot of muddy water here. But anyway, they get in because he uses this cat door. And so he goes inside. The house is dark. It's silent. He got there's three levels of this house. He goes up to the third level where Lori's bedroom is. It doesn't sound like he fumbles his way around the house to find that. I don't know that to be certain, though. Was he given information about where her bedroom is? I don't know. Like, Lori is in her bedroom, but she's still awake at this time. And she ends up going and closing her bedroom door. So he waits. He hides in their exercise room for over an hour Mm -hmm. and waits for her to go to bed. That's terrifying. Man who lives in my walls, I know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. That's terrifying. Better get out. Yeah. Um, so he finally gets up the nerve. He rushes into her bedroom. He puts his hand over her mouth and he tells her, if you do what I tell you to do, you'll survive. And he says in his interview, it's sick to do that. Like I knew she wasn't going to survive. But he talks about it very matter of factly too with that. But he's like, you know, human psychology. Like I I know all about this. If I tell someone that Uh do what I say, and you'll survive, and, and they're scared enough, she'll, she'll do it. Yeah. Exactly. So he brings her downstairs, and he tells her he wants her to drink as much of that wine bottle as she possibly can, and she does. Because, again, she's complying because she thinks she's going to survive. And, again, like we said, she never drank alcohol. She is fucking hammered at this point. Mm-hmm. He puts her in the back seat of the minivan, and he starts driving. He drives to the other side of the island to an isolated dirt road where he planned to stage that drunk driving accident. He takes the gag off of Lori's mouth, and he says that she does say something to him. And she says this over and over. And she says, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? But she never asks the question. And he's like, I think she was just so delirious at this point. 
and she's so drunk, you know? Mm -hmm. So Jason was waiting. He had gone out to this area and waited for hours for Brian to get there with Lori because that was the plan. So he shows up and Jason told Lori, like, I don't think that Lori ever says like why or anything, you know, because she had said, I want to, can I ask you a question or whatever? But right before they kill her, Jason leans in and says, you will never hurt Rochelle again. Like, you want to know why we're doing this? Because you're never going to hurt her again. So Brian makes her kneel, and he has said, basically his plan was to break her neck. And he thought that if he broke her neck and they put her in the van and they drove the van off the embankment or whatever, it would look like a drunk driving accident and her injuries would match up with it and nobody would be the wiser. So he does this, I mean, just like Hi-Fi Murders, he saw it in a movie or some shit. And so he tried to yank her like head and chin backwards to break her neck, but he couldn't do it. It wasn't working. She wasn't dying. Well, then he tries to grab her and twist it. Yep. And that that doesn't work. work. She's still alive. Then he like takes a flashlight. Mm -hmm. Yep. And tries to beat her. Oh, wait. Before the flashlight, the, the karate chop came. Oh, he karate chopped her. What movies are we watching? Uh, Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. I don't. And again, why are we thinking that like, oh, I saw somebody fucking Judy chop somebody one time. So that's what I'm going to do and kill them. I don't. Again, You're it doesn't. Putting, uh, you've got a lot of confidence in your <laughs> jujitsu skills. I know. It's like when Mac is like, I'm going to roundhouse kick it. Don't worry about it. And then he like, he can't roundhouse kick anything open because it doesn't work that way. Right. Like I'm going to scale the wall. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> like. Cognitive function just feels not 100% here. I was incredibly embarrassed for him. It's the equivalent of watching The Office and just being like, Mm -hmm. when you're watching Michael Scott say or do anything. But watching him on trial, Brian, recounting all of this, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, God. Yeah. He's like, you know, I I karate chopped her. And they're like, what did you karate chop her with? Well, my hand. And cool. what did you yeah. think was going to happen? I thought exactly. it was going to. I thought she would die. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. No, it doesn't work that way. And then, like, I can't remember, Tori, they took a flashlight. They beat her in the in the throat or in the in neck? The throat. Okay. Mm-hmm. That didn't work. Um, now, while he's on the stand saying this, Rochelle is gagging and almost vomits at the table and has to get up and leave, so they had to take a break. Uh, they come back, and he finishes. And then he says, finally, like, none of this is working. So finally, he puts his hand over her mouth and nose and suffocates her. And he he points out it takes a very long time. Can you imagine all everything? I mean, I don't know uh, how much of this she was able to it had she survived if she if she would have been able to if she was aware of what was happening because she was so intoxicated. Mhm. But I hope to God she wasn't. Mm. Right, but that is torture. Yes, it's absolutely torture. You know, another thing that I wonder about cuz you hear that like people who get in like car accidents when they're drunk because they don't tense up because their like muscles and everything are so like loosey-goosey or whatever. Yeah. Like they they can where a normal person would at least get whiplash or something like that. Not a normal, you know what I mean? Somebody who's not intoxicated might might have some kind of something because they'll tense up. Your body tenses up when you know you're about to make impact or whatever. Yeah, you're preparing for it. Yeah. So, like, I wonder if 
if her being that drunk actually made all those things more difficult. I mean, absolutely. That Because she I doesn't really know what's coming. She's not tensing up. Like, right. I don't know. But either way, he finally suffocates her. Then he puts her body back in the vehicle. He pours gasoline all over it. He lights a match. He threw his clothes into the fire as well. And afterwards, you know, like we said, when he talks with interviewers, he said he was like a robot. He was doing something to protect somebody, but he was absolutely sick to his stomach that he had killed a human being. Mm. So with Brian's confession, he tried to take as much blame as he could. He said he wanted to help Jason and Rochelle. But as soon as police came to arrest Jason, Jason completely broke down. And he eventually testified that Rochelle told him that she'd be better off if her mother was dead. I, again... Brian has killed somebody and Mm -hmm. he knows he's about to get arrested for it. And he believes, right or wrong, he believes that he needs to take the fall for his blood brother Mm -hmm. because he trusts him with his life. He never, ever, ever imagined that Jason would throw him under the bus. And so he's thinking, I need to take the fall. I did something to protect somebody, and now I'm going to absorb that entire shock so that my blood brother can live his life. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is so fucking senseless and ridiculous and, like, sad on so many levels. Absolutely. Talk about Muddy Waters, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So he called the mastermind of the plan Rochelle. And he said that she told him which weekend that she and Doc would be gone. Brian said that he really didn't communicate with uh, Rochelle that much. He went based on the information that Jason had given him. And once he realized what was happening, that Rochelle may have been completely fabricating or at the very least embellishing her stories of abuse. And he was horrified. He had a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. because he believed 100% what Jason was telling him. Well, he called himself a patsy, which is exactly what he was. Yep. Yeah. Now, the fact that he decided to go through with it, because yes. let's just say somebody was using me and telling me all of these ridiculous things that are not true, even not partly true, and they were like, you have to go and murder this person. I would be like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not doing that. And yeah, I would exactly. do it. Right. And that's pretty normal, I would think. But whether or not he did it, it he called himself a patsy and that's what he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They used him. Yeah. Yeah. Or she, he used, so whoever used him, used him. Somebody used him. Yep. I think yes. so. Several of Rochelle's friends also testified at Rochelle's trial and they said that she occasionally would say things like, I would wish my mother would die. And they said that she claimed that her mother would beat her and call her fat. And she even told people that her mother wouldn't feed her because she thought she was fat. And her friends chalked it up to her being an angsty teen. One of her former boyfriends said that Rochelle told him that her mother left a mark on her wrist from grabbing her. And he also remembered Rochelle telling him that her mother had either shoved her or pushed her down the stairs. But most of her friends were like, I don't really believe it. Yeah. They just didn't think that her mom was abusing Rochelle. They thought that she was just exaggerating because they never saw any injuries. Yeah. And that's that's one thing that Rochelle's defense really brought up was like, because the prosecution is saying they labeled Rochelle as a black widow mm-hmm. and that she manipulated these two adult men using sex. To kill her mother for her. And they were spinning, she was spinning these lies, this web of lies about 
her mother abusing her. And the defense attorney said, by the way, if you ever get picked up for murder, you want to hire her defense attorney. Holy uh-huh. fucking shit. He's amazing. I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Wells. Wells, yeah. I can't remember his first name either. But he said, how is it that all these 15, 16-year-old kids around Rochelle are like, she's blowing smoke. This isn't true. But these 24-year-old men are like, she's being horribly abused. We have to kill her for it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, why Why do the 16-year-olds get it and they don't? There's something wrong there. Absolutely. Mm. I don't. I don't know. But, you know, the friend said that Lori was incredibly worried that her daughter was going down the wrong path. But that she was just really worried about her in general. And, you know, her relationship with Jason. Doc said that Lori was worried about Rochelle being with someone older who didn't seem to have many goals in life. Mm -hmm. She didn't want her daughter marrying someone who wouldn't help her realize her full potential in life. And Doc also said that he never saw any violence between his wife and his daughter and that Rochelle never spoke to him about any abuse. He said that his wife would discipline their daughter for minor things, but for major discipline, she went to Doc and asked him to be the enforcer. And Doc said that that would generally entail him taking, like, giving her restrictions, like, no TV, computer, not, you know, you're grounded, you can't go out. Yep. And a friend of Jason's explained different letters to the jury that were written and exchanged between Rochelle and Jason. Since Lori didn't want her daughter seeing Jason, the two often wrote letters, emails, and sometimes Rochelle would sneak out of the basement window at night to meet him. And these handwritten letters were paragraphs full of violent and sexual fantasies. They wrote about drug use and Jason downloading porn for someone underage. They even wrote about how Lori was planning to sell Rochelle and that Jason could buy her for (sighs) $100,000. I am slightly conflicted. And I don't know. I guess we can talk about this at the end. I'm slightly conflicted as to... Not the sexual relationship. That's fucking child abuse. That's child sexual abuse right there. Absolutely. I'm slightly conflicted about the whole, like, the things in the letters. And because Jason does in his letters multiple times say things like, I'm going to find a way to get money and I'm going to hire you the best lawyers in Alaska so that you can get emancipated from your parents. And then we can be together. We can wait till you're 18. Let's just run away together. If, if your mom really is going to sell you, maybe I could buy you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I could impress your mom with, if I could get a bunch of money, maybe I could come to your house for dinner and your mom could see that I have money and she'd let us be together. He does give some alternative options here. To which Rochelle always had an excuse that none of them would work. Yeah, none of that would work. I wonder, and again, maybe this could be something, I don't know. I wonder how invested Rochelle was in this relationship, though, because the excuses could have been, you could look at it two ways, right? The excuses could have been, no, the only options for my mother to be eliminated. Mm -hmm. Could, could happen. I don't know. Or it could be, no, none of that's going to work. So we just can't be together. Right. And, and there's no, There is some evidence where Jason says some things like that. Well, what if you got emancipated? What if you got this or that or whatever? And and Rochelle says, no, that wouldn't work. But she doesn't then go on to say there is no evidence of her saying, no, she has to die. Right. There's there's never a sentence where she says, but she has to die. Right. So you're exactly right. She could just be trying to get away from him because he's fucking creepy and ugly and gross. And she's like, what was I thinking? (laughs) I think that at any 
given point, like I'm sure a lot of people have experienced, not to this level, but people experienced um, being with someone that was way more into you than you were into them. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gets where you're feeling smothered and you're like, oh my God, I have to like, I have to pump the brakes on this. This is not working for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Because um, now he's saying stuff like I'm getting my, I'm going to get my friend to murder your mom. And I'm not, I'm not really cool with that. I can't really go to my parents and tell them this because I really can't tell my parents that I've been smoking weed and drinking beer and sneaking out of the house and having sex with a 25-year-old man. Right. Um, so I'm just going to break up with him and hope it goes away. Absolutely. And that's not that's not working. And I mean, could she have said if that if that was the if that was the um desired outcome was to just get to just you know, get away from him and not be with him anymore. There could have been other ways to do that. Hey, I want to break up with you. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what she, if she did in person or on the phone or whatever, mm-hmm. because he's saying she didn't, he's, she's saying she did. I don't know. Right. But yeah, I mean, maybe if, if all she did was say none of these, I, none of this will work. We just, you know, what are, what are our other options here? There are no more options. I don't know, but that's what I got from it. She's trying really hard to be like, well, we tried. Mm-hmm. Guess that's it. I mean, yeah. And like, like you said, we don't have the direct evidence saying that she broke up with him, but everything points to that she did because he's definitely getting desperate and definitely saying stuff like, why can't I get in touch with you? Why am I not seeing you? How come you're not calling me back? How come you're not chatting with me online? Right. She's just distancing herself. Mm-hmm. But he's saying that during this time where he clearly can't get in touch with her, that she's also saying, my mom has to die. My mom has to die. There's no other options other than my mom dies and then we're together. Right. And he he just says it's because he loved her and he'd do anything for her. I don't understand it. And I do think if you if you are interested in this case further than what we're discussing— do more than watch the people investigates. Oh my gosh. There's there's a YouTube thing. What's the channel? It's called Dave's Lemonade, I think. I don't remember. I was so invested in it that I didn't I even know. Look at I who. think it's called Dave's Lemonade and he has a lot of the trial testimony in it. It's pretty much just a collection of the trial testimony. On Court TV, if you Google the trial testimony, you can see, I mean, two, three hour chunks of it. Like in enti- like Brian Riddell's entire time on the stand prosecution and cross Jason Aaron's entire time on the stand, all that. Because the thing is, Brian is testifying that during this time, Jason is talking about Lori being murdered all the time, but he cannot tell you that Rochelle ever ordered it because he never heard it from Rochelle. Mm -hmm. He wasn't talking to Rochelle. He was only talking to Jason. And Jason can't produce anything concrete saying that Rochelle Right. And Jason on the stand, her her attorney did a masterful job because her her attorney says, "Okay, well, you you talked to the police. Did you lie to them? Yeah, I did initially lie to them. Did you lie to them this time? Well, yeah, I lied to him then. And why did you do that? I was trying to salvage what was what was the rest of my what was quickly becoming the rest of my life. Man, he latched onto that. Uh-huh. And he's like, okay, so because what he's doing is he's pointing out, like, you've got something to lose, and lying is the only, the you're the only person who li- um, lying would be beneficial to you. Yes, you have identified that you can lie 
and you can get time off your sentence. And he brings up the fact that, hey, remember how you were downloading porn for underage kids? You didn't get charged with that. He's like, yeah, so why are we talking about it? He's like, we're talking about it because it was part of your deal with the prosecution if you testified against these people, if you gave them information that Rochelle ordered it. Mm -hmm. You didn't get charged with that. You didn't get charged with all of the statutory rape that you should have gotten charged with. Mm-hmm. for sleeping with an underage kid. yeah, You didn't get charged with all this other stuff because you're trying to salvage the rest of your life. So then he points out how many different times in Jason's uh, interrogations with law enforcement that Jason says, look, you ha- look, I get it. My credibility shot. You have no reason to believe me. I know that you have no reason to believe me, but I'm telling you, I lied then and I shouldn't have, but I'm not lying now. I and am then- not lying now. It was proven that he was, in fact, lying. And then. then he was lying. And then do you know what he had the fucking audacity to say on the stand? Well, I'm not lying now. And the attorney is like, "You weren't. I thought you weren't lying then either. He's like, well, can I just point out to you this is the first time I'm under oath? And I'm saying I'm not lying now? He's like, so you only tell the truth when you're under oath? He's like, well, no, not necessarily. But I mean, but I am under oath now. Just ripped him to shreds. He did. He ripped him to absolute shreds. So I'm just, in case this any of this is confusing to you, I'm going to get to the sentencing. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Brian Riddell pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to 99 years in prison with the possibility of parole after 33 years. Jason Aaron also pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to 50 years in prison with the possibility of parole after 16 years, and both men accepted plea deals in exchange for testifying against Rochelle Waterman at her first trial. So her first trial ended in a hung jury, so she was tried a second time. The judge threw out Rochelle's confession, claiming that it was coerced, as she may have been too young to understand her Miranda rights. Jason refused to testify at the second trial. Of course. I know. I'm guessing it's because he did not have an obligation because he'd already been sentenced and he was ripped to literal, like he was read to filth, essentially, on the stand the first time. So he's like, I'm not going through that again. Yeah, And Brian testifying, quote, against Rochelle, really, I didn't, it didn't hurt Rochelle because he testified. I never got any information from her. Yeah. I felt like he was technically more of a defense witness than a prosecution witness. Well, yeah. And what he said was the truth. It wasn't, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. There's, a, I mean, there's a lot that you can say about Brian Riddell, but I think he's telling the truth. Yeah. I really do. So in 2011, she was found guilty of criminally negligent homicide and she was sentenced to three years in prison. She has since been released. And in 2015, she appealed the Alaska Court of Appeals regarding her conviction and her mother's death, saying that a 16-year-old should not have been tried as an adult. The court rejected her appeal as the law says that in the the case of serious crimes, 16-year-olds are treated the same as adults. And she still seems to be posting on her blog. She's living in Florida. Her blog bio reads, quote, I am a person, a shell, and a being. I don't know who I am, what I've done, or where I'm going. I visit hell every day and go through things you can't imagine, so don't go there. Her interests include goth, punk, evanescence, <laughs> angels, art, and witching. Yeah. And, yeah. I found one of her blog posts from April 24th, 2022, mm. titled... Hmm. And it says, do all women think, quote, I want to be a better mom than I ever had? Oh. I didn't appreciate that. 
Yeah. I didn't appreciate that. I'm torn on how much she knew. Sure. The point that gets me is the her saying, oh, I'm sure my mom ran off the road. Obviously, right? I mean, that's like the biggest glaring uh-huh. yeah. part. But her defense attorney in his closing argument says, even if you think, even if you feel and believe that she knew that they were going to do it and she didn't stop it, under the law, that's not enough for a conspiracy to commit murder charge. He's like, you can believe that and still find her not guilty on this conspiracy to commit murder charge because it's actually not enough for that. So basically, I think that the legal system got it right here Mm -hmm. because if she did know and she didn't stop it legally, according to her defense attorney, I'm I'm not going to go through all the law books in Alaska, that falls under criminally negligent homicide. Mm-hmm. That she was negligent by not notifying somebody or doing something about it. I think she's a fucking turd. Yeah. Doc stands by her. He stood by her through the whole trial. I think that, I think two things can be true here. What really fucking pisses me off about and I don't like her, but what pisses me off about the prosecution is exactly what they did to Centoya Brown, who I do like. But they're calling her, they're being, being, she manipulated these older men into thinking that her mom abused her and she was using sex to get them to do her bidding. Hmm. No. This I is mean, a 25-year-old a man. Widow. Yeah, this is a 25-year-old man having sex with a 16-year-old girl. She's a victim of She's, sexual yes. abuse. Yes. Yes. I don't even know how legally they can fucking say something like that. But I think she did know that they were planning to do it. And I think I think in her 16-year-old mind, she thought, if I break up with him, it goes away. Right. Because when you're 16, I mean, and I think the jury got it right here because they definitely used her age as a mitigating factor, and they should. Now, yeah, I think that she's gone on as an adult to be a shithead. Yeah, I don't think that she has done, made the changes that I would have hoped. No. For? No. And if you read her blog, she's like a COVID denier. There's just, she's very political. Um, she talks a lot about hating living in the United States um, and going home to Mother Russia. She says that in July of this year, tone deaf, I think. Hmm. At the best, tone deaf. I was hoping that that was an old, old post. Nope, July 31st of this year, I believe. goodness gracious. So I don't like her. I don't think that she's, I don't think she's used this as a wake-up call or anything like that. That's unfortunate. It makes me so sad because Lori, she was murdered trying to get her daughter back on track and back on a path. That she was, you know, mm-hmm. she wanted her, she wanted her to reach her full potential. But clearly nothing could have done that for her. No. It's so sad. And as long as nobody's hurt anybody, do you. If you if you feel like, you know, whatever you want to do, do it. But um it makes me sad that she's making posts like be I want to be a better mother than my mother was to me when by all accounts that's completely false and spreading a false narrative about yes, somebody exactly. who was murdered 
innocently. Yeah, we have we have completely obliterated the I was abused by my mom claims. 100%. You know? So, yeah, saying something like that just feels very, like, it's one thing to say that if, I don't know, if your mom was still alive. <laughs> yeah. Your mom was murdered. I don't know. And 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 Brian Riddell is just like, <laughs> I got fucking had. Yeah. Like you said, even if you get had, you shouldn't kill somebody because you're like, well, they told me I need to. Like, there's something not right there. But he believed that Rochelle was in danger. He believed Jason when he told him that he saw Rochelle being beaten with a bat. Whether or not Jason actually believed that Rochelle was being abused, you know, Jason got that information from somebody he trusted, and now he realizes that Jason took advantage of him, too. Mm-hmm. That'd be a really, really tough spot to be in, and I am I mean that in he was completely taken advantage of and double-crossed by people that he trusted. Um, I don't feel so sorry for him because at the end of the day, he murdered an innocent woman. And I think that in a brutal way, in a very brutal way. And he has to live with that for the rest of his life. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's a tough one, man. It's a, it's a very nuanced case. Absolutely. And we have talked our patooties off. We sure have. So you guys let us know what you think. We always have an Instagram post where we you know, have all the cases we've released for the week. So let us know what you guys think about it. Absolutely. And palate cleanser for today. Yes. Yes. I'm going to say Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. That one always makes me happy. Mm-hmm. I always have a good time with that one. Um, I also, for some reason, want to watch get, Getting Even with Dad. And I don't know why Tony, not Tony Danza, Ted Danson needs to never have a ponytail. But Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you got two options and, um, yeah. Well, those are great ones. And thanks to Christina Rodriguez for suggesting that we start including a favorite nineties movie as the palate cleanser. Super great idea, girl. Thanks. Yes. But thank you guys so much for listening. We love you and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay. You guys, you know what time it is. Maybe you don't. Oh, well, in case if you don't, it's shout out time. It's shout out time. So these are shout outs for some of our newest patrons at the $10 level and higher. Um, it is our weekly fuck your name up section. So if you want yours fucked right up, join our Patreon at $10 or higher. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to give a hey girl thanks to Heather Allison, Tara Douglas, Lisa, Alicia. Thank you for the pronunciation there. You see, oh she knew goodness. we were going to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Annabelle Callie. Arden Strander, Brantley Maine, Courtney Ward, Tara Martin, Audrina Turner, Allie, Cass, Jacqueline Cascuna, Jordan Nix, Shantana Boards, Haley, Maddie Miller, Rebecca Middleton, Candace Jones, Hannah Payton, Liz Ralph, Georgia Robbins, Abby Morehouse, Shauna Abels, Rhiannon Marie, Isabella Noble Hartzler, Jessica Lachance, Kaylin Whaley, Caitlin Lopez, Eulenia Sererbrikoff, Sererbrikoff, Amy Pappas, Vicki Drunen, Monica Hofer, Stacy Warrington, Elizabeth Phillips, Alexis Clark, Amber Fulford, Chelsea Barrett, 
and Stephanie Weston. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. We love you. We love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 